I don't know what to do with all of that. Well, that was a lot of stuff. Uh, thank you guys for, for honoring. I, I'm going to do this because this makes sense. There's actually a lot of pastors on our staff. It's not just me. Uh, and we're blessed to be able to walk alongside people who have said yes to Jesus and serve him with their lives. So to our whole pastoral team, which is not just me, can we give them a hand and thank them for, for who they are? I think there's something in the, in the air, water, the, the weather change. Anybody messed up by the weather change? Um, I got a confession this morning. I woke up to uh, Katie shaking my foot. Uh, normally I'm up by five on, on Sunday mornings, and I wasn't. In fact, I slept through my alarm this morning. And uh, Katie, luckily Katie was on the worship team, so she was able to get me up with enough time to get here. So uh, I don't know. Something in the, in, the, in the air, I guess. But we're here and we're ready. Amen? All right. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, if you're new to church or, or newer to the scriptures, you'll find it uh, in the front of your Bible before Kings and after Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And if you are a, a guest with us this morning, I love what you get to kind of experience before the teaching because you get to experience us. And if, if you're new, that may be overwhelming, uh, or it may be endearing, it may be all of those things. But I just, I want to acknowledge that walking through the doors of a church is a pretty courageous thing, uh, because you don't necessarily know what you're going to run into. And it's like, uh, what goes on here, and, and what should I wear, and how should I talk? And so the fact that you've made it in here just shows, man, you have so much courage, and, and we're glad to be with you uh, and, and kind of living life together, you'll find real quickly that we're broken people uh, that are pursuing Jesus. And so if that works for you, hopefully this can be a good home for you. Um, we're currently in a series of messages that we started at the beginning of October called The Valley. And, and we've sort of framed this series from the psalm, the song by David, Psalm 23, and you may be familiar with it, but in this song, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we've concluded that the valley is not an optional part of life. The valley is a guaranteed part of life. You will walk through the valley low points on your journey or your adventure that are, that are confusing and, and sometimes disorienting. And, and often what leads you into the valley is not what gets you out of the valley. You walk into a place that's overwhelming and you try to find your way out and it can be very, very difficult, right? The valley is the place where we become very, very aware of our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses, they just come to the surface. We find out who we are. The valley is where we face off with the darkness that lurks within our own hearts. The valley is where we work through our doubts and fears. The valley is where our beliefs and our faith are formed by fire. We come to discover what we really believe in the valleys. And my prayer throughout the series is that, that we would come to know God in the valley. 
Because he's not absent, he's not distant. He's actually present with us in every valley that we experience. And so we've been praying, God, help us to be able to sing like David, even though I walk through the valley, I'm not going to fear. Why? Because you're with me. You hold me in this. So if you're in one of those places this morning, you've been in one maybe for a season, or this year has been felt like a valley to you, understand this, God sees you, and he loves you, he's present with you in the valley, amen? Today we're going to conclude the series uh, by discussing one final valley. There's a lot of different valleys we can experience. We've talked about the valley of waiting, depression, and Amy gave a great message on the valley of fear last week. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about the valley of failure, the valley of failure. How do we deal with failure? What happens when we fall short? When we make mistakes? When our lives negatively impact others? Or when we absolutely come to the end of ourselves and, and we feel like we don't have anything left to give? We're just, we feel, maybe we feel like a failure. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I recently watched a documentary on Hulu called The Jesus Music. Has anybody watched this? <laughs> Not on your watch list, apparently. Uh, I recommend it. It's, it's, it's a fascinating story uh, about the birth of modern Christian music. And it, it's, it's a little bit crazy. I relive some of my childhood, like Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Audio Adrenaline, DC Talk. I'm seeing some heads nod now. Uh, Probably from just church people that are going, yeah, I remember those. If you don't know DC Talk or Audio Adrenaline, you're going to be just fine. (laughs) So it kind of tells the story of how this music scene started, Christian music. And there was this huge wave of, of new Christian artists that came into existence during the Jesus movement of the 70s where thousands of people were surrendering their life to Jesus. I mean, by the hordes, by the thousands, people were coming to faith in Jesus. And it was this massive revival. If you live through this, you totally understand what I'm talking about. It was a revival that kind of swept the nation. And here's what stood out to me in the documentary. The Jesus movement, it caught momentum on the back end of a time where everybody was trying to find themselves. It was known as the me decade. Peace and love and sex and drugs and rock and roll and like just get after it. And sweet bell bottoms, anybody remember those? They kind of came back for a little bit, right? Uh, That's how fashion works. Anyway, so it was a wild time. People dressed in cool, some people just decided we're not going to wear clothes at all anymore, right? It was that kind of season, It was a time of saying the rules don't matter anymore. And authority can't be trusted. Just have a good time, live for yourself, pursue your own dream. It was kind of a do whatever feels right for you time as people searched for meeting. But they ran into a problem. All of that freedom didn't deliver what they were looking for. In fact, it led to deep hopelessness and depression Because no matter how many drugs or sexual encounters that they had or freedom songs they sang, it never solved the hopelessness of the human heart. You know what did? Jesus. 
And so people by the thousands came to Jesus because they tried every other avenue that they could and they couldn't find hope anywhere. The 70 was a time when, when people were at the end of themselves because they had tried everything else. And so their hearts were poised and when the gospel was presented, the good news that God loves those who have fallen short, yes, that's what I need. The valley of failure uh, is a valley that, that all of us have to walk. We have to face it. We have to wrestle with it. And I, I'd argue that, that we're currently living in another time that could be described as the me decade. Maybe an I decade. I don't think it's very different, honestly. It, it's actually a time of great discovery, as some would say, but here's the discovery that, that we cannot find within ourselves and our own motivations and our own passions hope. Hope lies outside of us. And we're, we're coming to, to find that this is true. As believers, this isn't confusing because we know that this is the reality. This is actually our condition. We accept that we've fallen short. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And no one is above it. And our hope isn't found in ourselves, it's found in Jesus, the author of creation. And the scriptures, they, they, they provide a framework for us. If you, again, if you're new to the scriptures, man, I, I hope today's encouraging because it's, it, it'll provide some answers and connection to maybe some of the questions that you have. The scriptures help us understand what failure is and what to do about it. There's actually a way forward. There are steps to take in the valley of failure. It's not a place that you have to stay. And this is what people discovered in the 70s when they found Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things that influence the way we think about failure and falling short. All of us grew up in a home with parents or grandparents or step-parents. We, we grew up with people in our life that actually modeled for us how to deal with failure. And some of those were really good and some of those were not. And then we got into school systems and then we ran into bosses. And again, some of, some of those taught us like what failure looks like and how to work through it. And some of us are very scarred by the way that we were treated when we fell short. Again, as believers, we don't take our direction from those systems or those oversight. Where do we take direction from? The scriptures. What does the scripture have to say about failure? And what do we do, do about it? Turn with me to, uh, now to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, for those of you that don't have church background, this story is about David and Bathsheba. For those of you that do, you know this story and you're already uncomfortable. Um, but this story is actually profoundly helpful in, in thinking through, through failure. David... Uh, is a king who is set apart and called to lead the people of Israel. And, and he had a very specific calling and anointing. God, God handpicked him to lead the people. And it, read about David's life. Fascinating life. I mean, we've read the psalm that came from his life, right? Fascinating guy. We've, we've been encouraged by him. Today, what we're going to see is that David, even though he was a king that was anointed and was set apart and wrote amazing songs, he was human. He, he was human, just like you and I. Just because he had those roles doesn't mean that he was not human, right? We're going to find that out. In chapter 11, David has been king for some time. 
and God has blessed his leadership. Things are going well. This is the context. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, this first verse is telling. David, the king, in a time when kings went off to war, did not go off to war, he stayed home. So there was something that David was set apart for, something that he was called to, a position that he was called to be in, to be responsible for. And instead of putting on his armor and heading out into the spring like kings did to fight their battles, what did he do? He stayed. I, I, I want to suggest that, that this is one of the ways we can get ourselves in trouble today. When we do not simply do what we were designed and called to do. Now this looks different for every single one of us to break down our responsibilities. I mean, just think about what you carry this week. We all carry different things. We all carry different responsibilities. It could be a teacher. You could be a principal. You could oversee pilots. You could fly planes. You, you could just be home with your kids. There's a responsibility that is on, on your shoulders this week. When we lose focus and attention on the very things that have been given into our hands to be responsible for. Or we start kind of sloughing off our duties and responsibilities, we actually put ourselves in pretty vulnerable places. Here's what it looked like for David. He should have been leading his army in battle, but instead he's at home, relaxing, strolling on his rooftop, kind of surveying his kingdom. Now, you can read this in the rest of chapter 11. I'm going to paraphrase, okay? He's meandering the rooftop. He's hanging out, and, and he looks over, and he sees this lady on the rooftop who is bathing. Now, why was she on the rooftop bathing? I don't know. I got questions about that. <laughs> but here he is, the king. He looks over, and there she is. Just And, and instead of going, huh, well, that's weird. I'm going to go back inside where it's safe. He doesn't take that route. He actually inquires. He sends somebody to go figure out, who is this bathing lady on the roof? He doesn't just see her. He, he sends servants, and then he ends up inviting her into his home to hang out. And one thing leads to another. As the story goes, you can read in chapter 11, she becomes pregnant. Now, David recognized things are kind of spiraling pretty quickly, but it gets worse. It gets worse. Because he doesn't, he doesn't come clean. He doesn't acknowledge what's going on. He doesn't confess. He calls Bathsheba's husband to come home because guess where her husband is? He's out fighting battles for David. So he, he calls him home. Come home, Uriah. And when, when Uriah gets home, David's like, hey, how's the battle going? Come on. David's not thinking about the battle. He's not thinking about the battle at all. He's only thinking about the mess that he's in, right? 
Because here's what he tells Uriah to do. He says, okay, hey, uh, I want you to wash up and go home. Translation, go spend time with your wife who you haven't seen in a while. You know what happens then. Go, go spend time with her so that I can cover up my mistakes. This is what's happening in the story. But Uriah doesn't because he's a man of honor. This is too good, right? Listen to this. This is verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. (laughs) Wake up, David. David is confronted by the faithfulness of one of his men. And once again, he's given an opportunity to kind of work out what's actually going on. But sadly, the story gets worse. Worse. Because David next sends Uriah intentionally into the front of the battle line so that he'll die. Are you kidding me? This is God's anointed king. One bad decision led to a greater bad decision. The writing in James 1, as I was studying this, it comes to mind. James 1 uh, says this, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is the progression that we see in David's life, right? He's like, huh, Interesting. Maybe I'll go investigate further. Maybe I'll just take one step further. Maybe, maybe, and he just got in deeper and deeper trouble. Now, my guess is, you may have some experience with this in your own life. Don't look at anybody right now. (laughs) My guess is you have some experience. You've probably made a few mistakes in your life. I'm willing to bet. Just throwing it out there. If you're having trouble thinking of mistakes that you've made, just ask your family or your spouse. (laughs) They will help you understand, right? We have all made mistakes. When mistakes are made, when, when you fall short in your job and in your relationships, it's amazing how quickly we move to try to cover up what we've done wrong. In fact, you see it in the very beginning of the scriptures. What did Adam and Eve do when they fell short? They went and hid and tried to cover themselves up. This is a human thing. When you fall short, the first thing you want to do is to try to make it go away and cover it up. This happens with David and Bathsheba. This happens with us. And this can be because of our our pride. (laughs) This can be because uh, we fear facing the truth and the consequences for our decisions. For, for those of us that are walking in the valley of failure, maybe, maybe today or maybe you've experienced this, there's a couple of ways to change course. One is through humility, and the other is often through humiliation. To put it another way, we leave the valley of failure through confession or confrontation. Confession or confrontation. We either own our mistakes 
or our mistakes end up owning us to the point where somebody has to step in and say, you need some help. Let's go to another New Testament text. 1 John 1 describes the, the process well. 1 John 1 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. This is the way of humility. This is seeing clearly what's going on in our lives and calling it what it is. To acknowledge what is true and to allow God's grace and mercy and forgiveness to mend and to heal and to restore. Path of humility. Unfortunately, this was not the path that David took. He did not take this path. Instead, he experienced the other way out of the valley. Confrontation. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Flip to the next chapter. This is where it gets just epic. God sends a prophet to David. Verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, he tells him a story. This, there were two men in a certain city. The one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many, very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's listening to the story. Listen to his response. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Whoa. 
confession or confrontation? Humility or humiliation? What pathway did David take? Can you imagine being in the room? Can you imagine like the weight of this? You are the man. <laughs> and there's consequences, right? This is where it gets heavy. Confer- confession or confrontation. The reality is, this story that is ancient, this is our story too. We all make mistakes. It's safe to say, safe to say, that the valley that David finds himself in is a rather deep, dark valley. Would you agree? <laughs> he was in the valley and he started digging a hole in the valley. <laughs> and it just got. <laughs> We're not above this either. We find ourselves in the same places sometimes. And And there is a way out of the valley of failure. Confession or confrontation. So if you you find yourself there today, what will it be? What will it be? I, I heard somebody, uh, we were at a conference last week and uh, it was kind of a, a, something that she shared in passing, but she talked about confessing to the Lord and confessing to one another. And when we confess to the Lord, we're forgiven. So we just read that. But when we confess to one another, we're healed. I thought, man, isn't that true? If you've ever made a mistake, it's actually almost, not, not easy, but it, it's, it's easy to go, God, forgive me. It's very difficult to acknowledge your mistakes before another person. But it's actually in that process that healing can begin. Because you start facing what's going on in your life. We talk a lot in, in our community of faith here about Community and being in community and knowing each other and sharing your stories. This is why. Because God's heart for every single one of us is that we would walk whole and healed and restored lives. And that actually cannot happen outside of being in community with other people. Sadly, I think what we experience in the church is a lot of coming to church and confessing things to God but not living it out in the community that we're in. And so we don't actually experience healing and restoration. Are you with me? God's grace. Here's the thing. Worship team, you guys can join me. Because I could take this seven directions right now. (laughs) Here's what is amazing to me about the value of failure. Whether we choose confession or whether we experience confrontation, God is present in both places. That, that is the heart of God for his people, to restore, to heal, to make right, 
to show us what it looks like to live in the light, not in the dark. It's his greatest desire for us. Why? Because he created us. We're his kids and he wants us to experience the joy of walking with him in the way he's created us. So he's constantly beckoning us into the light. He's constantly saying, hey, come to me, come to me. God met David even in his place of humiliation. Even though it took a while for David to get there, right? And there was tragic consequences in David's life. Come on, when we make mistakes, those things don't just go away by saying we're sorry. There's things that have to be walked out. That's part of healing and restoration too. David met him, met the Lord in the middle of his valley of failure. And, and here's how I know, Psalm 51 is a song that David wrote in response to this story that we just read. Listen to this, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Later, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. This may sound very much like a song that you have sung at some point in your life. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. <laughs> David even in this place of, of humiliation, understands that his God can restore what's been broken. And so whether we bring our lives to him and we recognize and we confess and we say, God, both places we're saying, God, have mercy. God, restore me. God, make me whole again. And he can. This, this is the good news today. This is the gospel. That just like in the 70s as a bunch of people recognized, gosh, tried everything I could. It ain't working. And they came to Jesus. Come on, we do the same thing. All of those pursuits, all of those things, all of our mistakes that we may be trying to come. God is present to heal and restore. He's calling you by name this morning. Saying, just come home. Just come on. Will you stand as I pray for us this morning? God is gracious. He's so good. Lord, Lord, we thank you that we have a, a place that we can come. That, that you invite us to boldly approach you. We do that today. There's nothing hidden from your sight. And, and that's, that's not scary to us, God. We, we bring our lives to you because we know that you're a good father who's filled with mercy and forgiveness for those who have fallen short. You've proven that to us by sending your son. 
so we come to you today and we cry out like David cried out in this story. Lord, create in us a clean heart. Restore us. Renew a right spirit within us. And Lord, I ask, I ask today as we leave, Lord, the, the, the conversations and the, and the work that, that you're inviting us into that's part of our restoration, Lord, grant us the courage and the power and the boldness by your spirit.